Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we confront the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. The three amigos. We don't even need introductions today. There's no host. There's no guests. It's just three guys talking predestination. We got Pete on the podcast. We got by God's good and righteous favor, predestinating power. Superpowers back on the podcast. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah. Good to be here. And uh, and we get to... Discuss- we have you. Yeah, you man. Pastor you know, uh, Building 28. By God's um, <laughs> provenient grace. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, no, so we're going to nerd out a little bit today, but it's a question that I have received many, many times yep. throughout my pastoral ministry, even in the last year. So many new believers have either started watching us online listening to the podcast, we're coming to Building 28, and they love what they hear, at least seemingly they do, but they, I would say the number one theological question that I get in ministry and that I've received over the last year is, what is up with predestination? Like this, 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 it sounds like a farce. And look, we live in an incredibly humanistic, autonomous culture today, a culture of redefinition where we can redefine everything, even in the church, we've kind of bought into that. And so what we do is we come to scripture, look, just hear me say this right from the jump. It is undeniable that predestination is in the Bible, if you want to believe the Bible. So it's not a matter of if the Christian believes in predestination or not. The Christian must believe in predestination. It is a matter of which version of predestination they believe in. And, and that muddy the waters even more. No. No, that, yeah, it's true. No, That's I think I think I, yeah, it's true. But like the one, the the some versions aren't actually predestination, right? So like right. That's oh, there's only issue. one right answer. That's what I'm saying. But, but what, I, what I'm what I'm trying to do from the <laughs> jump before we even get to the questions is establish if the Bible teaches it, yeah, whatever that subject might be. But in this specifically, it's predestination. You should also throw in the word election, which we're going to define all this one packet or divine ordaining. Um, like appointment, like these these different words, chosen, like these are the words associated with predestination. The Bible clearly over and over and over again teaches it. So the Christian, the, the clarity comes with the Christian does not have an option to say, I don't believe in predestination. The Christian must believe it's just what version of predestination they believe in. And it's a really interesting thing to because I put in all caps and explain how it's clear in the Bible. That's like how I, because that, that's how we need Amen. to talk about it today. Amen. And when... The Bible talks about, you know, scales going away from your eyes or your eyes being open or the blind being able to see, mostly in reference to becoming a Christian, right? Right. I feel like I never felt that as much as when I started looking at the Bible through a reformed Calvinistic lens. Like when you read it, you can't not see it anymore, right? When, when you don't know about it, like you're saying, or you're just first becoming a Christian or a kid younger learning about it, maybe you don't notice it as much how often it says elect chosen, foreknew, predestined, called. Yeah. But when you read it through the lens that we have now, the three of us, 
that is like eye-opening and hits you in the face and it's undeniable. And can I just, because I'm feeling, I'm just feeling very aggressive today. Can <laughs> I just from the jump right away for those listening who look, I love you because God has predestined that I love you. So can I just, <laughs> oh my uh, no, no, so for uh, in all seriousness, can we just address a couple of the misnomers here? First of all, predestination did not originate. Uh, Peter's throughout trouble buzzwords, reformed in Calvinism. Predestination did not originate in the Reformation. It did not originate with Calvin. Nor was it the main bulk of his teaching. Exactly. As a matter of fact, the five points of Calvinism came about after his death. Yeah, he didn't yeah. say these are my five points. Yes. Just like Luther yeah. hated the term Lutheran, Calvin would have hated the term Calvinist. But what the reformers did, if you listen to our podcast, you know this, but what the reformers did in the 16th and 17th centuries is they sought to revive the church and return to the proper doctrine of the church that had been lost in the dark ages. And so they taught to re- sought to return to the teachings of Augustine, many of the teachings of Augustine from the from the fourth and fifth centuries, um, and um, Athanasius, and and then even the, the these these uh, Antonicene, early Nicene fathers, or before the Nice uh, the Council of Nicaea, the first three centuries of the church. That's the idea there. So we're not trying to tether ourselves to somebody who just conjured up a thought process five years five hundred years ago. We are trying to follow in the footsteps of somebody like Calvin or Luther or almost any historically great theological father you can think of who says what does scripture teach about these that's the that's the so i'm gonna throw the first question at adam but just just for a frame of reference to what aaron's saying like when i say if i say i'm a calvinist i literally am only thinking of the five points of calvin like you're saying i'm not even thinking about all his other teachings which as we've dug into on some other podcasts i don't even agree with but it's like funny to think like the five points Calvinism just helps you understand this doctrine. I feel like right. the reform doctrine helps you understand it, gives you definitions, gives you words, gives you understanding to go learn what you believe on your own through the Bible. Right. So that's, that's the thing about like Calvin to me, all of these guys, Piper, Calvin, yeah. whatever, like we're learning about the Bible for, through them. We're not learning how to be a Calvinist. Right. So I think that's yeah, like sure. what, what to kind of give an umbrella to this is we're talking about what the Bible teaches. Absolutely. Right. And that brings us to, predestination. So Adam, as we talk about predestination, why don't you give us a definition of predestination and then we will choose other words to define throughout this process and help us fully understand the topic. Many people define it differently, but you find a lot of the same ingredients in most of the definitions. And most of them sound something like this. God, love how it starts. Our worldview has to start with him the definer of all things. Which is God. very Calvin-esque, by the way. <laughs> it's very biblicist or whatever okay. you want to say. <laughs> yeah, amen. All right, let's go. Uh, God, from before the foundation of the world, according to his foreknowledge, in his sovereign foreordination of all things, chose who would believe in him and who would not. And to make it even more simple. Did he say, Yeah. He said, I yeah. Think he said, yeah. He said, right, yeah. I think we can end the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was no, wondering. I was going to say to make it even more simple for our, for our listeners, you just break down these, the word and the prefix. When you hear destiny, like if you destine your child for something, what are you doing? You're, you're setting them up. So you're appointing them. You're choosing them to fulfill something. And you put the prefix pre on it. You're doing this before something. Yeah. And so the idea is yeah. before the foundation world, our father, through his covenantal love, destined salvation. Yeah. Okay. So yep. Aaron, first question about predestination, because Adam used the word foreknew. Yep. Mm. Foreknowledge is found throughout the Bible. And that is a big objection for people that say, 
Well, God knew what was going to happen, and therefore that was part of his plan. The whole so way of talk, history, the so corridor talk, of time. So talk a little bit about the difference between God just knowing it yeah. and ordaining it or choosing it, and also talk definitions of foreknowledge yeah. in the Bible. So, so Helpful question. Yeah, so this is this is really important because, and let me just start with this because I think it's important. When I when I opened the podcast with the different versions of predestination, there are two prominent versions within Christianity, and if you have to do it this way, you can see it as the Arminian crowd, the followers, kind of of Jacob Arminius teaching on one hand, and the the John Calvin s crowd on the other hand. Uh, they both believe in predestination. One believes that God chose us before the foundation of the world because He looked down based on His omniscience, His foreknowledge, and saw that you, Pete, would choose Him. And so He's like, "Oh yes, thank God, Adam and Peter and Aaron." God are going said, to, "Thank God." Uh, yeah, thank, thank me. <laughs> thank, oh, me. thank me. <laughs> this really, really though, if you're if you're consistent and honest, is. I it, was wondering. I didn't know it was going to happen. Honestly, if you're consistent though. I'm not trying to be mean. It wouldn't be God saying, thank me. It'd be like God saying, thank, thank Peter. Peter, thank, thank Adam. Thank, thank you for choosing me. Therefore, based on your choice of me, I then choose you. I can choose you. Which that's, is really predestination based on man's choice, which is not a predestination at all. I, that's what I'm so, saying. So, okay, I don't, I don't right. see that so, as a So I just want to be clear, but that's, that is called cognitive predestination. Mm -hmm. The other side is called causative predestination. That's pretty clearly where we all land here. And that is that God looked down through the corridors of time and that our choice of God is based upon first his choice of us, not the other way around. Which is and using the foreknowledge in the biblical term. Okay, you, so that's, I you, want to establish this before we okay, get to sorry. foreknowledge. Because we're, say, we're starting there. out today. So foreknowledge from that Greek word gnosis, which means to know. But even in our vernacular, we understand that when we say, I know something, that's different than saying, I know someone, mm -hmm. right? Adam and, knew Adam knew. And so it it's was the, not just mental information. Exactly. It's the same concept of, and when you read Romans chapter eight, and I think it's first Peter chapter one, those are the two passages that come into view there. Um, where Romans, yeah, Romans chapter eight says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. People are like, gotcha. The the knowledge <laughs> of God came first. Well, he's not saying for what he foreknew, but those whom he foreknew. And or so for loved. Yes. And so yeah. the the idea there is that before you were a blip on the chronological radar, God encountered you. And this, this gets into his, his loving of us. Mm. The, the love of God, this is hard for us to imagine because my love, as much as I love my little girl, my love had a starting point for her. Like I, it started when she was in the womb. It started when she was a, a yeah. concept. God's love for us as people never began. When he says he's loved us with an everlasting mm -hmm. love, there's not a point in time or out of time where he set his love upon us. He has always, always loved us. And from that love, known us, like not just known about us or known events of our life, but known us. And from that knowing of us and loving us, he that's why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter one, um, that in love, he predestined us for adoption according to, you know, according to his will, uh, Ephesians 1.5. And so when we talk about God knowing, obviously we believe here in the omniscience of God, that he knows all things whatsoever comes to pass, but him knowing, he does not base his decisions upon his foresight of things. He bases his decisions, if we can even call them that. On what? 
on the counsel of his own will, Ephesians yeah. 1 11. On his the own counsel, sovereign who pleasure. can be his counselor? Who can give him a gift to be repaid? No, yeah. for, for from him and through him and to him are all things, Romans eleven thirty six. 36. So when we talk about God, we are not talking about a God who is bound up in our decisions and, oh man, I really, I really wanted Adam, but he just doesn't want me. It is a God who is powerful and in control and those whom he chooses. Okay, so you follow that, what's called the golden strand of redemption. Whoever he set his love upon in four new people, not just events, four new people encountered them. He also predestined, chose them, and whom he predestined, he called to salvation by the power of the Holy Spirit, and whom he called, he justified by the work of Christ. So you have the triune God, and this Father chooses, Spirit calls or regenerates, makes alive. The Son justifies, and whom he justifies, he will glorify. And so this is all a work of divine grace. Very helpful. Sorry. A very helpful other verse to go to to help understand foreknowledge, especially Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew is Amos chapter three, verse two. You know it? As soon as you get going here, okay. it'll probably jog up. So God's uh, through Amos, the prophet from Tekoa, a hillbilly coming into the city. They didn't like him, but this is what he said in chapter three, two. God through Amos tells Israel, for you, Israel, only have I known among yeah. all the peoples of the earth. So we have two options. Option one. God only was intellectually aware of the Israelites and didn't know other people were on earth. Bad interpretive option. Good option, God only loved, cared for, called, created, in brought into fellowship with himself, his people, not all the rest of the peoples on earth. You bring that word, uh, that idea into this idea of foreknowledge, that's I think what's in view with four loving, what was, what was the, was there a linchpin text for you where you said, that's it for either one of you guys where you were like, cause there's so many, I, I just want to be clear with our, oh, yeah. our listeners yeah, here. This yeah. is not just theological jargon or because we want to have a certain view of God, like almost every single book in the new Testament and many books in the old Testament have passages of scripture in them. I mean, second Thessalonians chapter two, that's not where you're going, right? Second Thessalonians two thirteen. what we should, we are bound to give thanks to God always because from the beginning, God has chosen us for salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth. First Timothy chapter one, verse nine, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which God planned out in Christ Jesus before the world began. Um, so there's all these different paths. You might be going to my linchpin text, but you know, John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. And so you have these, John six was a big one. Big, John 6, 44 and 65, yep. that all the father gives me will come to me and, and yep. all that come to me, all know I was cast out. Yeah. And so there's all these texts, but what was, what was the text for you? Before we get to your text, okay. just notice, oh, okay. have we ever quoted so much scripture? There's, a lot, there's a, so lot. Much in any other there's episode? a lot of scripture for this. But that's the this. point. This yeah. is not some like, maybe in the baptism it is a highly episode. debated topic, but like, Sorry. I honestly <laughs> don't think it's that debatable. Like we have some of these yeah. other things yeah. where like, maybe it's vague. Is it a liberty? Is it permissive? This is like First Timothy one five. We know when brother- God speaks, the argument's yeah. over. Right, go ahead, Adam. First, go I was going to say First Timothy one five just popped to mind. It's like we know, brother and beloved by the Lord, that He has chosen, chosen you. Like you. I mean, it's just yeah. like it's everywhere. We're called elect yeah. exiles, like chosen by God. We're a chosen and a lot priesthood, of Paul's royal people. Beginning and endings of his letters too. Yes, talks yeah. A lot about but it. go ahead. What, what was Acts, what was the chapter okay. thirteen, beginning in verse forty six? Yeah, that's great. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. 
For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, so you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Then 48, the big one, Acts 13. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Luke, the author, could have ended there, but there's a comma. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It does not, it does not say, and as many as believed were were appointed appointed to eternal life. Right. It's very, that was the only text. Maybe we could like talk about commas and translation and whatever, but it's not at all. Well, there's also a text in, this is not even my linchpin text, Mm -hmm. but like there's a text in John 10 where I think it's John 10, Mm. but Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says to them, um, he does not say you are not my sheep because you can't believe. He says you can't believe because you're not my sheep. It's very clear. The the big text for me was yeah. Romans nine. It's a great it, one. Me and Adam was, are going to talk more about yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. On another but, episode. But, but <laughs> Romans nine. I believe Romans. I love Romans nine. But Romans nine was the one that completely destroyed my presuppositions when it came to Christianity mm. and kind of dethroned this idea of yeah, okay, God chose me because the Bible says predestination, but He really chose me because I willed to believe in Him. Romans 9, 16, it is not of him who wills or him who tries. It's not of human exertion, but it's of God who shows mercy. And for me, that was, wow, it is not based upon decisions I made or prayers that I prayed or a submission to Christ. It is first and foremost, primarily because God showed mercy. And, and I mean, he uses Jacob and Esau as a classic analogy. Okay, there so that Jacob was my was number one up, so. is Jacob and Esau. Yeah. Huge. Which it's like Huge. twins never did anything. It's the perfect like good. it's the perfect analogy and yeah. illustration. Right. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. It's like that makes you dig yeah. right there. Cause yeah. that make that seems like an unjust God, right? Two twins coming out, the older with the birthright, God hated purposefully. Like he wants to hit us in the face with this. And then my favorite always, like, and I would always say, you know, my high school verse and all this stuff was Ephesians one. Like, yeah. which you've already kind of referenced, but it's not just it's not just before the foundation of the world. Um, he predestined us for adoption, right? Because then it just goes further and further in him. We have redemption through his blood and forgiveness, according to his grace, which he lavished upon us, right? It's just, everything is focused on what God did for us. We're here because of God. We're here because of what he did. We're here because of his grace. It's, it's throughout the entire, we've obtained the inheritance because of him through him. That, that entire Ephesians one to me is my favorite because it's not just he predestined us and through his grace or we're saved through his grace, you know, whatever. Yeah. It explains everything, everything we have all and it's, you know, titled, which I didn't know this until just looking at it on my logos of spiritual blessings in Christ. Yeah. All the blessings, yeah. including yeah. salvation, right? So did you talk about, I mean, you talked about hundred linchpins. Did you have one you wanted to? That was it. Romans okay. 9, 16 was it for me. Right. Really Romans 9, but Romans 9, 16, especially mm-hmm. where it was, it's not of human will. It's not of human exertion. It is of God who shows mercy. I mean, John 1, 12 and 13 is another one of those where it's, you know. Write we, these we, down. Go look them up. Yeah. When, people, when, seriously. When, yeah. When we just gr- go gr- look up all these references and then just think yourself. Like, just think about it. Yeah. So, I mean, John one twelve is that is that famous, you know, kind of a wanna text there where it's talking about receiving Christ and trusting in him. But then verse 13, it says, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of man, but of God. I mean, I can't remember exactly there. Do you have John one twelve and 13, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like you can see that you can see this harmony of, yes, we're responsible people and we make it a choice of faith in Christ, but that choice is 
wholly based primarily first and foremost upon God's choice of us. We love him because he first loved us. Mm. Um, but what does it say there, John 1, 12? And then but 13. to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. So that's what it means to receive him, to yeah. believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. 13. Who were born. So this is why they received and believed. Not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And so the reason we believe, the reason we receive the Son of God, the reason we become children of God is because God long ago chose us in him. All right, let's let's just blow predestination up. It's over because of free will. Let's talk about free will. Yeah, amen. I mean, it's an illusion. We have free will. Is God making me slap Aaron on the shoulder? No, yes. I did that of my own volition. Right? I have free or will. Or did you? I said the prayer. <laughs> I asked Jesus into my heart. I did that. Okay? I know I did no that. No one in the world believes in true human free will. I, I, okay. No but one. let's just talk you know about- why? You know why? Because when we pray, when those who disagree with predestination pray, they don't pray like this. God, help them. Don't cross the boundaries of their freedom, but help them come down the road to understand in their own understanding. I pray the opposite. I pray thing. him to break my free will. Yeah, you help pray me God be like this. Help because we be know like he this, can God. and he does. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. So talk Amen. about, let's talk about free will. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in the Bible first. Let's talk about all the texts that, that mm. describe human free will in the Bible. And let's also talk about what it means and how it does. Cause I used to be one that, you know, a lot of people, and I think one of the problems with predestination is some people are harsh, especially young guys that yeah. oh, come up and learn it and want to yeah. fight in Baptist circles. And My circle, know, that's so fun. I had some of that in me. <laughs> um, uh, but but when we talk about free will, I used to just be like, nope, no free will. We have no free will. God controls everything. We're robots, right? I guess. Yes. And, I'm, and I want to be a robot. I want to be a robot of God. That used to be like my favorite saying. Why wouldn't I want to be a robot? Life would be easier if I was literally just a robot of God. I still believe that. But- Talk about Aaron. Aaron has a really good way of describing how free will kind of intersects with this. But Adam, talk about free will. Okay. Talk about how the Bible talks about it and why this is such a big objection to predestination. So it is a big objection because we are by nature sinners. And therefore we have a very high elevated view of ourself and our capabilities and our what we can do and what we are and what we can be. Yet when we read the Bible, we don't find that we are what we are now because of what we've done. We find out that we are what we are now, despite what we have done and what we are and still in part remain to be. Are and in so, Christ. Right. Yes. And yeah. Amen. And so rather than saying something like you are the reason you are now, the Bible talks about our freedom and the freedom of our will is that's the source of our greatest problem. Before we knew Christ, before we were saved, before we were Christian, we were dead, not just metaphorically dead, literally, spiritually, super we're sick dead. in the hospital bed. And I can right. just reach out. To you're push not just button. wait. Oh, oh no, you're dead. Your lungs are full of the water. You're on the floor of the ocean. That's how this describes our will. So our will being bent by the fall is always going to be towards sin. So I, I don't know how, what you do to talk about this, but I always explain it like this, the deadness of our will, that being our chief problem, picture a lion in a cage you put before this lion a bowl of meat and a bowl of wheat, which one is the lion going to choose? Meat. Why? Because that's what the propensity of his heart desires. His nature is carnivorous, right? right. He's not a herbivore. 
So something has to happen inside the nature of the lion to get him to desire something that's contrary to his nature for him to actually desire and consume the wheat and it be pleasurable for him and not something of a, I have to do this. So people may be missing this analogy. He right. chooses so, the wheat, right? <laughs> we are the lion in the <laughs> right. cage. And if somebody puts two bowls of, you know, met- metaphorically food in front of us, if Jesus is in one, sin is in the other, our heart will always in its own freedom, choose the sin until the moment God takes out the heart of stone, sin gives is us a new heart. And therefore we then, <laughs> yeah, we then desire yeah. Jesus who is contrary to our natural tastes. So when you mention scripture that speaks on free will, there's none. Okay. Just so we're clear, there's none. In the New Living Translation, I think there's one. I, I looked up the references and one of them is Matthew 23, 37. Hmm. Do you know that verse? What? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathered her brood mm. under her wings and you were not willing. Okay. So I want to be very clear. Yeah, that's for, the one reference they For my friends got. who are yeah. listening, look, I am not saying that we don't have will. We have volitional or choice. Or volition. Yeah. Which let's I, get to that. I'm not saying that in the heart of God, there's not a part that we can't understand of his heart. First Timothy two six that desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, mm-hmm. like there's there's a or a Second Peter three nine you know willing that none should perish. Like I'm not saying that there's not a part of the the heart of God that especially the compassion of Christ in human form looking out over Jerusalem that longs for something that He has not ordained to come to pass. We can't fully grasp that because if we truly long for it and we have the power to do it, we make it happen typically. Um, but there's there's a part of him that does long for that, especially in human form, as in Christ in flesh. Um, so I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that we don't make choices, decisions. You slap my shoulder, like that's your choice. But what I'm agreeing with Adam on is that when I say no one truly believes in free will, including philosophers, including atheistic thinkers, what is free will? Like how we define it? And we have this 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 radically misplaced understanding that free will is the ability to do whatever I want. That is not. No, well, no one has that. That no doesn't one. exist in any realm, in any religious circle, in any philosophical construct. I don't have the ability to fly right now, even though I would love to be able to fly over top of this building because I have limitations physically. I have limitations mentally. I cannot retain everything I read. Like the, the normal human re- retains about 7% of what they read. And so mm-hmm. we, we have limitations. We have limitations spiritually. Okay, like, mm. so that's the whole idea here is, so if, then if you go, well, no, no, what I mean by that then is that we have the freedom to do whatever we're capable of doing. Okay, sure. That's not free will then. That is limited will. Like that is constrained will. And when Paul says, Galatians 4, 3, that we're in chains or we're enslaved to our sin, or he says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, 3, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we walk according to the course of this world. So to go back to Adam's analogy there, I've used it before. Jeffrey, who's here in the room, who's our whooper um, on the podcast, he hates mayonnaise. He hates mayonnaise. Not not only, hear me say this, this is very- Anything with man in it, I would <laughs> Yeah. Um, this is, I think this is very important because Adam set up a good scenario of the lion choosing meat. 
But he didn't go so far as to say the lion hates the grain or the wheat. Yeah. Mm, that's true. Naturally that's true. speaking, not only do we choose sin, but we naturally hate God. The only yeah. way I've said before, the only way that Jeffrey, so I could push a bowl of beautiful white mayonnaise in front of Jeffrey and he would be grossed out. There's Dukes. nothing, there's nothing I could say or do. He would never choose the mayonnaise unless literally, and he would acknowledge this, unless a miracle of God happened that changed his palate, his taste, his desire. That's what has to happen. So when we talk about man and our will, we are naturally gravitate toward, I've said it many times, when children are born, when you put them in the nursery, you don't have to teach them to hit, you don't have to teach them to lie, you don't have to teach them to disobey. Philosophers and religious constructs have different words for that, but scripture calls it sin. That's human depravity, that's original transgression. Mm -hmm. We have that nature within us. We need a radical transformation of nature to actually desire to do what we can do. Now, I don't know if Adam will agree with this, but I often say um, that when it comes to our choice of God or salvation, it's not that we can't choose God and therefore we will not, and this might just be semantics, but rather I say that we will never choose God and therefore we cannot. And so we are incapable, but our incapacity is based upon a wrongful volition. And so to me, as I understand the the, the freedom of the will, and especially in relation to the Lord, like the, the Lord has given us the capacities per se to choose him, but we will never do that. And therefore we're incapacitated by that lack of desire. The way I kind of wrestled with it and can think about it, and it makes logical sense, right? Because we all believe, and most people would acknowledge this, whether they're Arminian or whatever, that we can't understand the mind of God. God is outside of time. God created the world from nothing, right? They agree with all of those biblical principles, but they have a hard time agreeing with, we have absolute freedom of choice in our own minds on this earth sure, to choose God or not. And I chose God. I asked God to come into my heart, be the king of my life, follow him as best I can, obey his commands. That is a choice I make every day. Absolutely. That is a choice my daughter just made. Those are choices Christians make on earth, but it's already been decided. God has already ordained those decisions. He He has appointed- Whatsoever comes to pass. That's what I'm saying. So I don't understand why people have a problem with that because a lot of them are- I just can't. I just I, I know I made that decision myself, so I just can't understand how it somebody else made that decision. What's that, I what's made that, that text decision. there in Philippians? I forget the I forget which passage it is, but where it's, I think the it's it's really beautiful how Paul puts it. And as a matter of fact, Paul is so clear on predestination. There have been Christians who have said, "I don't like Paul. Or I, I refuse to Paul's believe Paul teachings. because he was a Calvinist." Like, like, I mean, you're just like it's it's just you're like what? Yeah. yeah. But there's that passage. Calvin was a Paulist. Yeah. yeah. More like there's, it. There's that that. That passage there in Philippians that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. So the idea there he's speaking to believers is mortify sin, pursue Christ, read the word, come to church, like pursue Christian discipline. And then following up, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So the whole fuel, the motivation, the reason why we we press forward and we persevere The reason why we can't be eternally lost once we're in Christ is because God is working in us, preserving us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. There's there's passages like this throughout scripture that give us what we're talking about here, just, just for those who are trying to track with us, is we're talking about infinite realities. 
and our finite minds are trying to understand infinite realities. But that doesn't mean that we just shelf it and say, well, I can never understand it. God's given us his word so that we can understand him. And it would seem very clear in my estimation, according to scripture, that we must fight down sin. We must repent. We must be faithful to our wives. We cannot use the sovereignty of God as an excuse right. for sin. Right. Um, but right. instead, we or use to it as, not a, as a catalyst yeah. for worship. So, Adam, I'm going to throw a curveball. It's not necessarily on this, but it's oh, you're, nice. you're going you're, to be a home. Right. It's <laughs> actually a softball. So we've touched on it. But this was also something for me as I learned about this. This was so important and logically how I think about things connected. And there is no other way to describe it, right? So the pea and tulip, okay, mm -hmm. that God will preserve us the once we're Christians. Saints, yeah, the yeah. perseverance of saints, we will persevere to the end and go to heaven if God chooses us. To me, the way I understand that is if God chooses me, no matter what I do to try to run away, I am going to be a Christian. But as some people might not know, a lot of Arminians or four-point Calvinists or whatever they want to say also believe that. What, that once they choose to become a Christian, that'll never go away. Explain how that logically doesn't make sense, okay? And and why that's such an important point to predestination. It's it's the ending point to predestination because it's the end of the golden chain of glorification. The beginning point is the T in the tulip and total depravity. If if that's true, since that's true, not if. And by the way, can I just pause really quick for those who might not be familiar with Tulip, because Peter threw it out and now Adam's yep. thrown it out. Yep. After the time of John Calvin in the kind of the waning years of the Reformation, the followers of Jacob Arminius came out with this statement called the Remonstrance, where they came out with five statements about our salvation. And in response to that, the Canons of Dort in 1618, the followers of Calvin and therefore the kind of the adherence of biblical Calvinism came out with five points of salvation, biblical understandings of salvation that form an acronym, T-U-L-I-P. Um, and that's what, and you can look that up, but that's what Peter and Adam are referencing. Just wanted to throw that oh, out yeah. there so people aren't yeah, lost. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people think Calvin wrote up the system. Yeah, yeah no. And which didn't. is just purely a easier way to state something, understand it, learn it. That's all For sure. the acronyms are. The, the, the oh, yeah, okay. so, yeah, yeah, so since T is true, whether or not you agree with predestination, the reason there are Christians on the planet is because God predestined them. No one would be a Christian unless yeah. predestination is true. So then you fast forward through the tulip to the P. The reason why you cannot disagree with the P because reality, we cannot keep ourselves in the faith. If we think we can, perhaps we should read Paul, uh, beware. Read if you Jesus. think you stand, lest you fall. Right. Things like this. And so the only reason I have confidence that tomorrow morning or even tonight at the end of the day, I will go to bed, Lord willing, by his grace, a believer is because he has promised to keep me to the end. And so I know that his grace in me by his spirit will continue to increase the spirit's fruit in me so that I will always be kept and will continue on persevering in the faith because he has preserved me. He will hold me fast. In other words, like the hymn says. So uh, those who disagree with the P in Tulip, I think at the root of that, though you may not feel this in, in the moment, and this, this doesn't intend to be more strong than it needs to be, but there's an arrogance and a bit of a, a modern day United States swagger that needs to die in a lot of believers if they deny the P. I think if you embrace 
all of TULIP, the whole Calvinistic system, it's not only the, I mean, it is a system. Let's, let's be honest about that. It's, it's a system that gives the most glory to God, the least glory to men. If we deny this, or sorry, if we embrace this, it ought to humble us. And I mean, honestly, are we going to get to the end and find God say, you really should have given more glory to yourself, not to me? No, he's never going to say that. So in, fair, so in fairness to Peter was asking about kind of, I grew up Baptist, oh, so sorry. I'll kind of use them. But the, the, no, that's, no, no, no. I the get ba- what you're saying, but yeah. The Baptists believe in the perseverance they do, they of the, the or at least, saved, it, or at least eternal yes. security yeah, is how they the would frame that. But they don't believe in the other four oftentimes, like kind of your classic, oh, traditional. Okay. Okay. And so Peter's saying how logically, first of all, logic is important. God's given us logic. But biblically, they would say, I don't see the biblical support for the other four, but I do for eternal security. All the Father's given me. No one can pluck them out of my hand, John chapter 10 and other passages, right? Which is true. There's biblical support, I believe, for all five, robust biblical support. But they would say that, and what they, their argument would be that if you can use this analogy— what they're saying is that there's a child in need who wants to be adopted. If you've seen the Lego Batman movie, you remember how Robin oh, yeah. keeps coming to Batman going, adopt me, adopt me, hey, adopt me. Hey, that hey. That's what we're doing according to that mindset. We're coming to God and saying, please adopt me. Please take me. I believe in you. Then God takes us in and now, Begrudgingly. He, hold, now he holds us. He, right. ho- he holds us secure. So they wouldn't say th- those who would adhere to eternal security but kind of, kind of wouldn't believe in predestination, they would not say that – we have the power just to remove ourselves. God has that power, but it's because we've placed ourselves in his hand. He has that power because of us. Consistently with what we are saying here, it is that we, that the Lord has seen a child in need, an orphan, and he has pursued them when they were actually running from him, chased them down, set his love upon them, wooed them to love him by the power of his spirit through the redemption of Christ. And they now love him and are secure in Christ because the whole work is God's. Logically speaking. Well, that's a better question. I, I wasn't sure what no, you're, you're asking, good. but that yeah. was That's good. why it was a curveball. That was good. Right. <laughs> it was a single you hit, but it's okay. Aaron, Aaron came off. Hit the home <laughs> no, not everyone can be a home run. No. Uh, it was, it was I pitched it for you. Sorry. <laughs> but, but seriously, because in the reason I'm thinking about this is how does that make logical sense? How is that fair or just of mm. God? If he can't force me to be a Christian, how can he force me to stay? If it has to be my decision to be a Christian, why can't I then later make the decision out of my free will to not be a Christian? To me, that's more consistent, both anti-biblical, but to me, that's at least more consistent because to say that once I do make that decision, all other, my free will goes away and now I'm controlled by God and he will keep hmm. me till the end. Doesn't that's make good. sense that that's yeah. your, your. Picking and choosing what makes you feel good. And they, and they would say, just to be fair, once again, this is where I grew up. It's not where I am now. But they would say that they go there because that's where scripture leads. The scripture indicates to them, not to me, but to them that we do have a free will when it comes to that we're not completely dead in sin. They would they might call it total depravity, but they mean partial depravity. Like there's a that we're we're dead in sin. We have original sin. Like we are sinners by nature and birth. Um, but we still have a spark within us, as John Wesley would have taught, that, mm. that enables us this provenient grace. That's what provenient grace Which is. Which ironically is kind of Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah. And so, but it's the idea of we can choose him. Then that our submission is tethered to Christ. He holds us then right. and he is maybe the Lord of our lives. That's another issue so for another time. This is probably something we should have done at the beginning. Huh. This podcast <laughs> is for Christians. Yes. For Bible believers who believe what the Bible says to be true. Because anybody that's not a Christian would be like, these guys are all crazy. It's They're weird. Crazy. God's controlling them to yeah. be robots, whatever. So so with that caveat that we are specifically talking about Christians that are kind of wrestling through this, trying to figure out, 
theology. Because I'll tell you, people think certain things are important to study and not others. While we may have disagreements about that, there's nothing that's furthered my faith more, desire to learn more about God, read the Bible more, dig in, than Reformed theology. Okay. I'll just say it like nothing ever has sparked it like that and continued it and helped me feel like stuff makes sense and be freeing. Yeah. So what advice or counsel would you guys have for Christians struggling through this topic, learning about it? What can you give them as comfort? Where can you point them to go? What other explanation can you have that can kind of ease some of their, it just doesn't seem fair to me that God would choose some and not others. Cause let, that's a big I'll let objection. Superpower step back in the batter's box for this one. Yeah. Cause that, but that's a big objection is just like, I love a good and just <laughs> God. This doesn't seem fair. Right. I wrestle with that yeah. and learning about yeah. it. I've experienced a few different types of this individual. So here's just a few different types. Maybe I'll, I'll hit a few. You can hit a few others. I would encourage people struggling with this. If the struggle is they don't feel like it's loving of God to do this, I would encourage those people, let the Bible itself redefine what the love of God is rather than, I think, modern day America, things like that. Uh, For those who are afraid of this, and I think I... I don't know, this might might be helpful for folks. I was not always reformed. I did not always believe in predestination, things like this, as as we're talking about. Most people don't start that way. Right. No, I was a raging Arminian. And I felt a lot, I think a hybrid of all three of these things, or two two or three of these things together. I didn't think it was loving of God to do that. I've talked about that. I was also afraid of it because I knew if I believe that, everything changes about how I view the Bible, how I view church, how I view my my life. God is going to be so much bigger. I cannot continue living the way I am. It's all or nothing there. And so I was kind of uncomfortable with that. So if you have an and issue with love. And it logically doesn't make sense, especially if you're not well-versed in the Bible. Like I yeah. was raging our many, like you said, free will, giving examples of, so if a bus drove through this world, this building right here and killed all of us, you're saying that was ordained by God. And yeah. my brother-in-law, before he was my brother-in-law, graciously said, yeah, Tim, it is. Yeah. yeah. And he, and, and we go through and it's just Bible, like read yeah. the Bible. Yeah, that will help it. you so much with yeah. this. That, that was, that was my next thing. Just rather than trying to like, okay, here's this topic. I'm going to think about it out here and all this stuff. Root all of your thinking in scripture and let scripture redefine categories for you, move them around, shape them, and actually build what you believe and practice rather than your own natural understanding. I I agree with everything you said. Scripture must be paramount. It's just not today. So many, and I'm not going to say everybody because I know there we have listeners who are struggling through this, maybe even reject this, and they are biblicists and they love the Word of God. But so many come to me, and it's an emotional reaction rather than a biblical reaction. And then they will try to piecemeal what do they say biblically? What do they say? I just can't believe that God would do that. I I remember sitting in, in youth group when I was a youth pastor. And we just read, we were studying Ephesians 1, and we just read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And at the end, a girl from a different church whose boyfriend was in my youth group, who he had brought her, that was her first night. Uh, her name was Whitney. She just starts crying. Hmm. And I was like, Whitney, is everything all right? And she looked at the Bible, and I've used this analogy before, but she, or this illustration before, she looked at the Bible and looked at me and said, this is not my God. Hmm. Like from the Bible, like just just reading the Bible, right? We didn't even explain it. And I think that's the issue is the emotions trump 
the objectivity of scripture in our day. And that yeah. needs, they knew emotions have their place. Logic, God's given us logic. He's created us to be a sensible people, but they have their place. They do not trump scripture, um, especially when we're talking about things that are beyond logic and beyond natural understanding. What'd you say but, in the moment? You're right. Yeah. Your God's an yeah. idol. The well, God of the Bible probably, bigger than I probably that did because I was back, it was back in my raging <laughs> Calvinistic days. Um, but we baptized her like six months later, so it's all good. Unfortunately, you've not done that. Um, <laughs> no, but what I, what I was going to say is when we talk about, but when we talk about the love of God biblically and even logically, this is what we have to understand. The picture is dire. There are not people beating on the outside of the ark saying, "Let me in." No. Okay. There are people there trying are, to tear it down. There are people. If we can view a, uh, I've always kind of painted a picture of a cliff of destruction and people are trudging full throttle toward that cliff of destruction Can't wait to get there. and God is stepping in by his sovereign grace and redirecting some, some, some. we're not universalists, so not all, but mm. some. And just, just if we can logically understand this, I, we adopted me and Daniel, we adopted Spurgeon and Augustine. We love our boys. Like, they didn't do anything, even though we saw intrinsic worth. It's not apples to apples. Like God did not see intrinsic worth and beauty in you. He just Nothing saw sin. saw sin and chose in kind grace to redeem his you. His own but, pleasure was the root yes, of his but, love. But Paul the says we're adopted according to predestination in Ephesians yeah. one five, and so so the illustration begins to make sense where he looks upon. I looked upon Spurgeon and, and Augustine. I saw a need, and we put down the money and we adopt them. We brought them into our family. Mm. And it wasn't because they earned that right at all. And now I would argue they can't forfeit that right. They will be currents forever, even though they can grieve me. Don't get that wrong. Because some people are like, well, you know, what if I, you can still grieve the Lord through your sin. Amen. But they'll, they'll, all, they'll always be my kids. And, and let me just say this, while we had, while we had the resources to adopt more kids than just Spurgeon and Justin, mm -hmm. I don't think anyone would say that we are unloving for only adopting Spurgeon and Augustine. Okay, we because some people will be like, well, God There's has no perfect God, God, God has the resources to adopt everybody, but that does not that does not constitute an unloving God that He chooses to adopt some well, who in all would be perishing that, without Him. And anyone who would say that was unjust, it betrays their worldly, non-biblical view of justice. Because when we think about predestination, no one receives injustice. There's only two types of people in right. the world. There's bad guys and Jesus. That's it. Yeah. And some receive mercy and grace in the gospel. That's the elect. That's those who are predestined. Others receive justice for their own sin. No one receives well, well, injustice. Paul confronts it, right? Romans 9 again, he says, yeah. but who, who are you, old man, to reply back to God? Will the thing mm -hmm. formed say yeah. to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? Does not Ironically, many do. Power, yeah, they, they right. do. But here's, here's the deal. Yeah. If you're accusing God of injustice, by what standard of injustice are you accusing right. God? Your, your own. If, if there is a creator God, then I think we would understand that the standard of justice is the creator God. Mm -hmm. Like He's just. So... Everyone in the world receives justice. It's just a matter now of under the umbrella of justice, do they receive what is fair to them, the, the, the consequence of their own crimes, Romans 6.23, or do they receive what is merciful because Christ received the consequence of our crimes? Like it's, it's mercy and fairness. When I get pulled over by a police officer for speeding, for breaking the law, I can either receive mercy, a or warning, justice. or I can receive, well, no, I was going to say I can receive what's fair. 
a citation. Oh, either we one don't is, want fairness. Either yeah. one is just, right? Because the authority yeah, has been placed in the lawmaker's hands, in the police officer's hands. So he can dispense if he's if he's walking in righteousness. He can dispense justice through giving me what I deserve, yeah. or by bestowing upon me mercy yeah. by his authority. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's how I see this. So everything God does is just. Yeah. Everything he does is right. Amen. It's just we're either getting the wages of our sin or Christ is getting the wages of our sin. And I think the big problem is just the way we view ourselves, our things, this world. When I remember really early on in the church, Brooke was a baby and we were at the here. We were over here. And this, I think this was the little kids room, right? Where we're sitting right now. <laughs> this actually used to be part of our worship room. Oh, okay. So then right behind me <laughs> yeah. was the little kids room and we could like hear screaming. I remember. And multiple times, not just one, we played that John Piper video where you get in an accident and your infant yeah. daughter flies through the windshield and dies. Yeah. yeah. Basically yeah. that's, that's the mm. gist of the, and it's like, yeah, not very emotional, but I could have cried every sure. time I yeah. heard it. Sure. And, and then he says, and God is good. God is beautiful. Yeah. God is still in control. Yeah. Right. A lot of people are like, that, that doesn't seem fair to me. Yeah. And that's where it just falls apart. And that's where you have to release that type of control over life and still realize bad things are going to happen and God is still in control. Fairness is only ever bad news for us. Like what we deserve, if the Bible is true and we're sinners, and that means that we are treasonous against the judge of all the universe, then all the, we don't deserve the breath in our lungs right now. We don't deserve the seats that we're sitting in. We don't deserve the clothes upon our bodies, the houses that we live in, the wives that we have. We don't deserve anything good it's only by his common grace that we enjoy these benefits of this life. And it is by his saving grace that we enjoy relationship with him in this life and life to come. I think the number one thing from this podcast would be put it on 0.5 times speed in the beginning. Slow <laughs> it down instead of one and a half. Ooh. Look up the Bible verses and quotes and hit references. Pause. Hit, pause, hit pause. Read them. Think through what we're talking about and let us know what you think. I, in the I comments and emails, whatever. Let us know what you think once you've read through this. If it's awesome, if you hate it, yeah. probably gonna have more hate from this episode than ever. No, but, no, no. But but look, everyone thinks they've got their own right to choose their own bride. Why don't we let God choose his own? <laughs> said Spurgeon. <laughs> yeah. And also Spurgeon, I'm sure glad God chose me before I was born because he certainly <laughs> would wouldn't have, have after. after. That's, that's true. I, I do want to finish with this because <laughs> oftentimes, and I'm just trying, I'm trying to be kind and gracious here, but often... If you're going to go up against scripture and even logic with this debate, I believe in kindness, you're going to lose mm -hmm. against a predestination, unconditional election, cause the predestination stands. Like this is the truth of scripture. And so what happens oftentimes is someone will talk to me and in losing the debate, they'll say, oh, okay, well, their frame of reference now becomes what does it matter? Mm. Like, well, who cares? Like, what does it matter? And so I just want to finish there because theology- That's good matters like this ma this is not just an ivory tower debate and discussion that we're having oh. this matters so two quotes okay and i one, got a third one is from a man that we've already referenced who needs no introduction john calvin and in his institutes of the christian religion he says this this great subject of predestination election is not as many imagine a mere thorny and noisy disputation nor speculation which wearies the minds of man without any profit, but instead is a solid discussion eminently adapted to the service of the godly because it builds us up in sound faith. It trains us, or it should, to humility. Mm -hmm. So no one who sees themselves as they are and sees God as he is 
should be prideful. If you're cage stage, that's your call to yeah. repent. <laughs> yeah, we're, we repent of, of that pride. Trains us in humility and lifts us up in an admiration of the unbounded goodness of God towards us while it elevates to praise this goodness in our highest strains. So that's awesome. The second quote is a book that was really, I would recommend this to anybody. It's called The Reformed Doctrine of Predestination by Lorraine Botner. Bettner. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good. really formative for me in the early years of studying this. But this is a quote from him. He says, this is not a cold, barren, speculative theory, not an unnatural system of strange doctrines as many people are inclined to believe, but a most warm and living, a most vital and important account of God's relations with men. It is a system of towering but practical truths, which are designed and adapted under the influence of the Holy Spirit to mold, watch this, the affections, not just the affirmations, not just our mind, but the affections of the heart and give right direction to conduct. So it shapes our worship. It shapes our behavior, Life. how we view God. Yeah. Like Tozer said, knowledge of the holy. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Like it shapes everything about us. And so um, we have to keep this before us. Like it shapes our worship. What shapes your worship? Your view of God, yeah. your view of grace shapes Amen. your worship. So I see you, see your Calvin. Okay. See your Botner. But, yeah. Raise you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Acts chapter 18. So what, Buff, let me preface this by saying the biggest critique uh, or objection I've gotten to this whether or not somebody believes in this, even those who do that have said this doesn't matter because it gets people off mission. Let's talk about sharing the gospel with the lost, missionaries, spreading. That's yeah, what matters. Yeah. Why would we ever evangelize now if God's in control? Just stay Right. Home. All that's packaged in this. Well, it just so happens that predestination is a fuel uh, for missions. And so Acts 18, uh, the context, Paul has just arrived. He left Athens. He came into Corinth. After he found, who we know, Aquila, uh, he and Silas and Timothy, who just recently arrived from Macedonia, joined Paul in Corinth there, start teaching, testifying, verse 5, that Jesus was the Christ. And they opposed him, they reviled him, and they said, your blood be on your own head, you know, things like this. And so they're giving him a hard time, they're persecuting him. Paul's incredibly discouraged. He goes to sleep. Amazingly, Paul's able to sleep because he knows God's big and he trusts him. Sovereignty of God is the pillow we lay our head on. And he's on. probably tired. And he's probably tired. <laughs> Amen. Uh, this is what Acts 18 verse 9 and 10 say. And the Lord said to Paul in a vision that, that night, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. Again, this is not a period after this. There's a comma. For I have many in this city who are my people. That means God has chosen. We don't know who the elect are, who they're not. Paul didn't have, we don't have as pastors. It's not like you graduate seminary and you get these magical pair of elect spectacles where you can see who's elect and who's you don't reprobate. Have you do? Oh, wow. <laughs> you no. do only when you're baptizing babies. There, go ahead. There you go. <laughs> Amen. Well said. Uh, not many people had come to Christ in Corinth at this point, yet Paul yeah. is encouraged by God, God's own word to Paul. Yeah. I have many people in this city who are my preaching. Result, verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. Why? Because he knew, yeah. like 2 Timothy 1.9 says, or 1.10, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is theirs in Christ. So there were elect people in Corinth that weren't saved yet. 
the way they're going to be saved is Paul's preaching to them. And so the Lord encourages him to keep preaching through sovereign predestination. If that does encourage missions, I don't know what will. And that's a good example of it's all throughout the Bible. Amen. Because most people would read that passage and not think predestination. Yeah. But it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So just keep reading, keep studying, sending your questions. We're going to do a mid-season Q&A coming up here soon. And maybe we can do a follow-up follow-up episode on double predestination. Well, I you'll think we be wrong that, and we'll be right. We handled that in the beginning when he said, yeah. So people can <laughs> just true, listen back true. to that. Aaron's right. with us. That's all we got. That's it for today. Thanks. See ya. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about the show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.